Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, Lord, that you worked in the lives of men like David. Lord, that this isn't just a story we're reading, but Lord, this is true events that happen. And Lord, we get to learn about faith. We get to learn about the same kind of faith from his story. And the same God that interceded in his story is interceding in ours. God, we love you, and we're so just joy-filled by that, Lord. And so um, we praise you this morning, and we ask that you would just speak to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts exactly what we need to just hear, Lord. We know that's different for each person, but, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves and say, Lord, we're listening. God, we're here, and we're waiting on you. And so it's in Jesus' name. Um, Everyone said and prayed. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open... To 1 Samuel 18. Um, if this is your first Sunday with us and you're an eighth grader, um, welcome for one Sunday. Um, it's nice to see you. And so just a reminder that this is our last week um, before we do the move up of the grades. And so if you're in eighth grade, you're going to move up to ninth grade. And the seventh graders are going to be eighth graders. And so woo-woo. Um, with that, we've if this is your first time or one of your first times with us, We've been going through um, this series about the life of David. We've been looking at his life. We've been looking at this point in the story where, you know, he was called by God to be king over Israel. Um, He defeated Goliath, and then through that, the current king Saul became jealous of him, and it began to consume him in such a way that he began to become destructive. He even tries to kill David on a couple of occasions, so much to the point where David would run out. But this morning, um, just in light of move up this week, I wanted to look at a scripture in this story that we already looked at, but at a different perspective. And one thing about God's word is that there isn't just one meaning behind it, that it isn't just necessarily one context, but the spirit has a way of moving in different ways to speak to your heart when you read a certain scripture. And so on one occasion, you could read a scripture and God could speak to something to you through it. And then later on, you could read that same scripture and the spirit would speak something else to you. And so this morning, I did want to look at a scripture that we had gone through, but kind of just look at a different kind of just aspect of this story. And so if you're in 1 Samuel 18, we're going to go through verses 1 through 4. This actually happens right after David defeats Goliath. And many of us have heard of Jonathan. Um, who is actually the son of Saul, who is the current king that was persecuting him. But he was also a friend of David, and this is how their friendship begins. So it says in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. We're going to stop there. And so if you guys would say amen to God's word. When you read through just this event of Jonathan coming up to David and it said that twice in this, it says that he loved him as himself. And that he made covenant with him. But then it also says that he took off his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And for a warrior to do that to another warrior in that day and age was a point of surrender. That was a point of just even submission to him to say that this is, you are the highest honor. You are the one that's in charge. And when you look at a story like that and you look at someone like Jonathan who would do that, um, was not only, not only 
significant because of who his father was, but significant about who Jonathan was himself. And so something about Jonathan was he was the firstborn of the current king of Israel, that he was kind of the cream of the crop. He was, you know, had a pretty prestigious lineage of who he was. He was born into kind of royalty, that he was going to be the next king of Israel simply because of his position. And then on the other side, you have someone like David, who's the eighth born of a shepherd. He was born into a, you know, inheritance of sheep, you know, not necessarily anything amazing or royal off the bat. And yet when you look at this story, you see someone who was the firstborn who stood to inherit the kingdom of God, and he would see that God was with him and that God was choosing him, and he would surrender to him. When you read the story of David and you look at his life, you see God working amidst it, and that's the beauty of looking at the story. And there are times in the story where you see David acting like Jesus to other people and reflect Jesus. But in this, in this scripture right here, Jonathan reflects Jesus. Because in the same way that, that uh, Jonathan was the firstborn of a royal family, it's a picture of how Christ would even submit to us. Jesus is the, is the son of God. He was the one who has everything that the father has. And he would say, all that I have is from the father and we share it together. We're one, is what he would say. And yet, Jesus would look at people like us and instead of saying, you're a bunch of sinners... I'm, I'm keeping all this glory. I'm keeping the kingdom to myself. He would come before, and he would surrender everything to us as well in the form of the cross. God would make it even possible to enter into relationship with us by the way that he loved us and the way that he laid down everything for us. And when you look at that in the scripture, he laid down his life first. He laid down everything, and it speaks a lot to their friendship because that's how their friendship began. That's how the friendship began between Jonathan and David, and it's the same way that the friendship between God and us begins as well. It comes with the one who has the inheritance, the one who has the glory to come and lay down everything and to enter into a a covenant with one another. See, that's unusual for us because when you look at friendship, God is the one who initiates everything. Jesus came and initiated everything. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. You see, that's something God is always first to everything that happens in our lives. Even when you think about the commands of God, God is always first before it. God would never ask us to do anything that he isn't already doing for us. Love your neighbor because I love you. Forgive those around you because I've forgiven you. Because you see, like, sacrifice everything. Take your cross up and follow me because I've taken up my cross for you. See, God has a way of preceding everything no matter what he asks. And when it comes to friendship, it's the same way. It's because he's done everything in his power to enter into that relationship. And that's how the friendship starts. And that's how the friendship could only be because God went to the cross. God died for us. God gave us forgiveness so that, so that we could be friends with him, that we could enter into that. And, you know, you could look at that and say that's unusual because when you think about friendship, maybe you think about it in a different way. Maybe you think of it in a way that you have to earn in some sort of fashion the the ability to enter into friendship. Maybe you think you have to look a certain way. Maybe you think you have to talk a certain way. Maybe you think you have to act, hang around certain people in order to earn someone's friendship. But with God, it's free right off the bat. He gets right into it. 
And friendship is something that I would just say God's love is best shown through the friendship that he desires with each and every one of us. If you want to experience God's love, but you don't want friendship with him, you'll never see it. Because friendship is the very context that God wants to show his love over and over and over again to us. Jesus himself would say to, our, to his disciples, where two or more gather in Matthew 18, he says, I am there with you. Which gives us the incentive to gather with one another and to gather in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is in the midst of those friendships. We have our personal relationship with God, but that personal relationship includes the relationships that we have with one another as people in this room and as the church, and that is very, very vital. Can I get an amen to that? That's something that's so important that can often be neglected in our world, maybe because sometimes it's hard to take our eyes off of ourselves, or we're individually minded to think about what about me, how am I doing, rather than looking at those around us and seeing what God might have in store there. That's what you see in this story. You see someone of Jonathan who didn't just look to God and say, well, what about me? What do you have in store for me? God had that taken care of, but instead he was able to look at someone like David and say, this is yours. Let me serve you. Let me be like Jesus to you. See, friendship is the heart of what God wants to have with us. Truly, there's no ulterior motives when it comes to God wanting to be present with us. Sometimes when we think about people hanging out with one another, it's like, what's the catch? What do you want? What are you trying to get from this? What are you trying to gain from this? But with God, it's, it's just that. He just wants to be with us. He just wants to be our friend. He just wants to be in relationship. He just wants to pour into us because we're us. And we want to be with God because he is God. See, when you talk about friendship, sometimes you, not to sound like mushy or like Toy Story-esque, I guess, when it comes to friendship, but sometimes friendship gets a bad rap or it gets kind of a soft edge to it because friends, you know, or just whatever that may look like in your life. But friendship, when you look at it in the eyes of God, is something that's powerful. It's committed. It's courage. It's integrity. It's consistency. You see, friendship is more powerful than we could ever know in our lives. Did you know that studies show that friendship have a gr- Friendships have a greater conviction in our lives than our own beliefs. That the people that you hang around have more of a conviction on your decisions than your own personal beliefs. They override it because of you wanting to please them. That's a powerful thing to think about because we ultimately become like the people that we hang around. I guess this is something that you could think about. If you took a combination of the five friends that you spend the most time with, and what they're like in every way. If you took those five and put them together, you know what you get? You get you. You get you. You're a picture of your friends around you. You're a picture of the people that are around you as well. And so when you look at them and you look at their lives, you look at what's important to them, you look at the way that they speak, you look at the way that they act, you look at the, the foundations of their lives. It's you. It's you in a sense. You know... The importance of friends through changing seasons, not just friends in certain seasons, but having friends throughout all seasons is something that's so powerful and yet so rare. Other studies show that if you have two to three friendships that last your entire life, that is absolutely rare. They said that's non-existent now, nowadays, that 
people don't stick with one another. People don't hold on to one another and walk through certain things with one another. And so it's far and few between. And even in our society, friendship is something that has become kind of shallow in a sense. When you look at, when you look at social media and you look what it defines as a friend, or you even think about even just with Instagram and things like followers and following, I feel like that's a word that's used to replace friendship in a sense that your friends just follow you and just like your stuff, that we're just meant to just, just follow you in whatever you do, but that's not friendship. That is not friendship by any means, and you could have a thousand friends and yet be lonely nowadays, which is why having two close friends, you find more satisfaction than someone who has a thousand friends or thousands of friends on social media, but they have no clue who you are. They don't really know you in between. It's almost like this ocean. It's like the Pacific Ocean, but it's only a foot deep. To the naked eye, just kind of standing there and looking at it, it just, it looks great. But once you get into it, you realize it's really not that impressive at all. We're deep. We're deeper than social media. God knows that, and God made us that way. Our friends are meant, and our friendships in Christ were meant to go much deeper than the world's interpretation of it. Strong and godly friendship is the heart of the church as well. That's something Jesus even understood when he founded the church. That he understood that it was the relationships that we have with one another that's going to carry us. It's the relationships that we have together that's truly going to draw us together. It's the thing that will make or break us even in our relationship with God. It's something that gives us a context to be able to seek God because you weren't meant to just seek him by yourself. When you, when you even think about just something even in a historical context, we're a very individualistic society. And what I mean is this. When we, we, we often think of ourselves, that's kind of a cultural thing where we often think of ourselves first when somebody refers to us and says, you are, you think, I am. But did you know that a lot of times, and even in the culture of the Bible, when they said you are, the response is we are. There was this group mentality. And so when you read scriptures like you are the temple of God or you are the body, sometimes people think, yes, I'm the whole temple of God. Or people say, yes, I'm the whole body of God. I need to be everything when really God wants us to be all together the body of God. You see, you see what I'm talking about there, that God has this idea that when he talks to us, he's talking to us all together. That he sees us not just as an individual, but he sees us as a family together. In verse 3 of this, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. That word covenant is um, pretty powerful. It means promise, but it also means testament, which is a word, if you know, refers to the Old Testament and the New Testament. That covenant is a reflection of a type of friendship that God wants to have with each and every one of us as well. So when we enter into covenant with other people, when we enter into promises with the people around us, it's reflective of the relationship that God enters into us. I think that when you think about kinds of friendships, there's covenant kind of friendships, but then there's also like this transactional, I guess would be a good word to describe, or like an exchange. What can I get from a person? And covenant goes a lot deeper than it does with transaction. And, you know, oftentimes with our friendships, we're a lot more transactional. We're even with friends that we know around us and we think that are close to us, it's more transactional than it is promise-related or covenant-related. And what I mean is this. I want to give an example of a transactional friendship um, to you guys. And so I have 
one cent for someone who will come up here and say, Jeff, will you be my friend? Can I get someone to come up? All right, you can come up. I have volunteers for you. Yes, thank you. Here you go. Grab your money. You just hit it out of my hand. On the ground. I have a quarter for someone who wants to be my friend. If they'll come up. Daniel, you want to come up? Sit down. We're friends. Sit down. Absolutely. Here you go. Thank you so much. I have a dollar for someone who wants to be my friend. Emily. Will you be my friend? Absolutely. Here you go. Who wants to be my friend? Absolutely. Here you go. Go away. Absolutely. All right, that's all I got. Give it up for Daniel. FYI, Daniel is giving that back to me after service. So if you see him running out, (laughs) sit down, friend. So all that to say, here's an example of transitional friendship. I asked you all the same question to be my friend, but you only saw me based on my value to you. When I had a penny, you were all quiet. No one cared. No one saw a lot of it. I had a hundred, except Josh. He's a real friend. Give it up for Josh. Now sit down. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. But when it was even $10 to $100, you sure treated me a lot different. You know that we do that to our own friends? We kind of just look through them if we don't see a lot of value in them. You know how when it hurts, when it it happens to you, but we also do it to others. You do it subtly. You do it without even knowing because that's kind of what we've been raised in. Promise-keeping friendship would be to enter into a relationship no matter what the value of the other person is. You see, unhealthy friendship is focused on what a person can get. What can I get from this person? But true friendship is what can I give to this person. It's not about their value. It's about what you can give to other people. See, that's the difference between just looking at someone and saying, well, what do they give to me? Because maybe your value is, well, they're annoying. Well, maybe you don't like how they look. Maybe you don't like how they dress. See, that's all transactional. But promises, no matter what they're like, entering into relationship with them and making a promise to love them. See, that's unusual for us to make a commitment to one another. You know that um, something that's even interesting as well, because when you look at something like marriage, which is entering into covenant, 
It's entering into a commitment with everything. Did you guys know that with couples who sleep together and live together before marriage have a way higher divorce rate than those who wait? Now, why is that? Well, it's because they just want something from each other. And so they're just, I don't need to worry about committing anything. I just, let's get what we want right now. That's not real friendship. That's not love. That's not deep. See, true relationship is loving the other person and committing to the other person, whatever the context it may be. That was true of someone like Jonathan who made a covenant to David. And even in 1 Samuel 20, 42, it said that he swore friendship to him. He, he promised friendship to him is what he did. And then actually in a later scripture, when David is on the run, Jonathan goes out and he finds him. It's the last time he would see him before he would die, actually. And this is what it would say in that scripture. It said that, It said that Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh, and he helped him find strength in God. And that actual Hebrew translation of helped him find strength in God is this. It put courage in his hand is what it means. It says he strengthened his hand in God is what it actually means. It's like, it's like Jonathan took his hand when he was weak, and he just put strength in him. He reminded him of who God was. And that's what we do to those around us. We get to be intentional about going to them in their weakness, putting strength in their hands. Not passive, not just saying, oh, it'll happen if it's real. Oh, you'll go and do it if it's real. It's the other way around. We get to look at people in the same way no matter what circumstance. We don't get to desert one another when we are in trouble. Nor do we only get to hang out with one another when it's convenient. Instead, it's any opportunity is an opportunity to draw closer to them. There's something I have a saying. It's kind of corny, but it, it, it's so true. It's godly friendship is promise-keeping, not people-pleasing. Godly friendship is about keeping your promises to another person. It's not just about having people please you or you just, just being pleased by others or whatever. In fact, you can tell a lot about the people around you by your successes and your failures If they're happy for you when you're successful, and if they're there for you in your weakness, you know they're a good friend. The other way around, it's not really great, and it's not really friendship. See, God is there to celebrate the times when we have success, but he's also there for us in the times to really strengthen our hand in God when we're struggling. He doesn't desert us. He doesn't turn on us, but he's truly the first one there. Jonathan went out from the army of Saul. He risked his own life to go find David. And in the same way, in our weakness, in our, in our sin, God goes out and he finds us and he strengthens our hand in him. That's the friendship that God wants to have with each and every one of you. Maybe that's something new to hear that God would want to be your friend. Or maybe that he would want to be that deep of a friend with you. And the other way around is true as well. Maybe you didn't even know that people could be your friend like that. I think that's a word for us this morning as well, but I wanted to, to talk about three kinds of godly friendships that we need in our lives. Just, just want to rattle them off really quick, just different kinds of friendships, because friendships come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes with the people around us. When you talk about people like your parents or relatives or siblings or people at school, there's all kinds of relationships in different contexts, 
that we have. Not all relationships are exactly the same or as mutual around us. And so there are three things there that I just want to talk about. And the first one is this. We need mentors, parents, and leaders pouring Jesus into us. We absolutely need people over us who are giving something that we cannot give back to them. We need people to invoke wisdom into our lives. We need people to, to, to shoot us straight about what we're doing and how we're doing and why we're doing it. And that is something, as a youth culture, this is a youth group, is a difficult thing for us sometimes because we don't like having people in our lives. Maybe even the opportunity of telling us we're wrong or telling us that we need to change something or maybe that we have to go apologize or maybe that we're just, we need to change something about our lives. And you know what? Often our response is to even avoid having people in our lives or to even listen to them in the first place out of fear they may tell us something we don't want to hear. A lot of you have parents who are giving you a lot of wisdom that you're not listening to, just to be honest. A lot of you have leaders in your lives that maybe you're just afraid to listen to because they may tell you something that doesn't make sense or it may cause you to change. It may cause you to repent or to change something. But you know, no leader, no one who is over you, whether it's a parent or a teacher or whatever, is speaking to you based on their own selfishness. They speak to you out of love. Jesus would even say he was correcting a church. That, that is interesting because Jesus would... He was disciplined a church in Revelation 3, and he says, those I discipline, I love. And so be earnest and repent is what he would say to them. See, I, Jesus goes, no, if I, didn't, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just let you do your own thing and go off the deep end. But because I love you, I'm being honest with you, which is why having parents, having leaders lead us in Jesus with their wisdom and their perspective, even though it's different from ours, is vital. It's vital. The second one is kind of what we talked about for most of this morning. We need friendships that are mutual. This is, these are the people who know us inside and out. These are the people that are walking with us through life. These are the people who are sharpening us in our lives. But you know, something that's important, this, this could be, this, this includes you guys in the room, just so you know. This includes siblings as well. This will include your future spouse. You know, and something about this is that you need, and this is, a, this is necessary, you need to enter into each other's world. If you're going to be a mutual friend with someone, you need to open up yourself to them, and they need to open up to you, because it's impossible to sharpen one another. It's impossible to walk with one another if you're not open with one another. So if you look at someone and say, hey, I want to be their friend, but you're not willing to open up everything inside of you, beautiful or ugly, no matter what it is, then it won't work. We have to have the ability to enter into each other's worlds and to share everything that's going on, share with each other's families, share with each other's past. You know that Daniel, or Daniel, David and Jonathan, they made a pat to one another, but they made a pat to each other's families as well. And you would even see that after Jonathan's death, David would still look out after Jonathan's family and Jonathan's children. Because that's the kind of commitment that friendships are. They're not just commitments to one another. They're commitment to each other's world, to everything. The last one, I think sometimes you may not always think about this one, but we need to pour into others without expecting anything in return. We need to have people that we're pouring in, that we're laying down our lives without expecting anything in return. This is the world. 
This is the world outside. These are the people that don't know Jesus. We are called to love them unconditionally and to give them everything we got. And when they don't return the same kind of love, that's okay. That's not how we entered into it. That's not the kind of relationship that we have with them. We can't expect anyone to show us the love of Christ if they've never committed to it. You know, this also could include younger siblings in your life. Maybe you're in a point of leadership. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're in some sort of leadership point that you get to pour into others. You have a voice in someone else's life. And I'm not just saying within church. I'm talking about at any point of your life because that's an opportunity that God has given you as well. One of the reasons why I wanted to be a tennis coach and I was a tennis coach was first and foremost because I had an opportunity to speak Jesus into people that may have not heard it. I had a chance to speak Jesus into people that maybe don't come to a church, maybe people who haven't heard of Jesus or had a bad experience. See, that was an opportunity. We, we have those opportunities around us, and we get to pour into them. And do not think that you're too young, because God doesn't think you're too young. God has empowered you by his Holy Spirit, and he has put you in positions, whether it's with younger siblings, to be Jesus to them. Sometimes we look at younger siblings, sometimes we look at people in our lives and we say, well, they're not doing anything for me or they're just annoying and it's, no, that's not the heart of Christ. Because Christ doesn't look at us and go, man, you're so annoying. (laughs) Or what are you doing for me? Why do you want to keep hanging out with my friends? But instead, it's an outpour without expecting anything in return. And that's what we get to do for those are younger than us or that we're in a position of leadership over and it's so important too that you have all three because some of us maybe you're in a place in your life where you're missing one or two pieces and you're you're struggling because certain pieces of the puzzle are missing if you're only if you're only getting poured into but you're not giving anything back you're going to become stale after a while you're going to get tired of hearing stuff because you have nothing to do with it you've heard it a million times The other way is true as well. If you're just pouring into other people, but nobody's pouring into you, you'd be at risk to become arrogant and empty. You'll think you know everything because you're over people and nobody's speaking into you, but at the same time, you'll feel empty on the inside because you're not getting poured into. See, we need people pouring into us for the sake of Christ, but we also need to pour into others, and we need friends with one another to wrestle through it all with us. If the worship team could come back up. The last point I just want to make, and definitely the most important, and as corny as it sounds, nope, I'm saying it. It says, Jesus is your best friend if you want him to be. And that is the most powerful point that I could possibly make from a scripture like this. Jesus is your absolute best friend. He is a closer friend than the people around you. He's a closer friend than anyone in your family. And that's a place that you get to give to him. That's a place you get to enter into covenant with him. But it's only if you want it. For most of us, we see God as someone who's maybe far off. Or maybe we don't give him that much importance because we see him just as a curriculum. We see him as a philosophy. Or you just see him as something that your parents worship. Or you just kind of see him as one of many. But you know that God wants to be your closest friend more than anyone. He wants to be that one that's closest to you. And he's that friend who will change you, who will will pour out his love on you. See, when it says friends have a greater conviction on our lives and our beliefs, that's where Christ comes in and he 
begins to change us when we invite him into a deep place in our lives. Some of us say, God, I want you to change me, but I'm going to keep you way out there. And then we wonder, well, God, why, why isn't anything happening? And it's, and let me in. Let me in. That's what he's saying. Maybe some of us have so much shame in our lives that we think God couldn't possibly want to be our friend after everything that we've done. But you know what? Friends, friendships aren't meant, they're not based on whether people are successful or failures. Friendships are based on whether people are committed or not. God is committed to you no matter what. God will draw close in your successes, but he'll draw just as close in your failures as well. I think that's a word for you guys this morning.